All right. Well, thank you so much. Yes. And it does make you feel a little aged whenever your you know, youth students are now uh, married and having kids. And uh, but I'm so proud of, of Tate and uh, Caleb and so thankful for them. I'm excited to be here. Very, very excited to be here. So my family and I live in Moorhead. And as Tate said, I have the privilege of serving as the campus minister at Moorhead State BCM. And so um, we moved about six and a half, seven years ago here or to Moorhead, and we've been a part of Better Life Church. And so whenever <clears throat> we heard that, that, that God was going to plant a campus here, we were so excited and we began uh, praying for this church. And then I got to know Pastor Aaron, who's amazing. Your pastor's amazing, right? He's a great guy. Uh, I've got to know him a little bit over the course of the years. And just to, to hear his heart for the Lord, his heart for for this community and discipleship and evangelism has been amazing. And I'm just, again, just thrilled to be able to be here today. Uh, man, praise God for the kids blast. That that was awesome. Um, I was thinking about whenever I was growing up, I got to be a part of a few VBSs. Now, we didn't have food trucks that provided, you know, chewies or whatever, but we did have cookies and Kool-Aid. Did you all have some VBS time where you had the cookies and the Kool-Aid? Yeah, so, um, but man, praise God for, for being a church that reaches out into the community. And, and by the way, I just love the name. I love the, the name Foundation Church because it reminds me of what is significant in that everything has to be built on a solid foundation in our lives. And you know, we were even talking this morning on the way in, the kids, uh, we were talking about, well, why is it called Foundation Church? We were talking about, well, if the foundation isn't solid in your life, if the foundation isn't firm, then everything else is going to have problems, right? We have to have a strong foundation to build from, and of course, that foundation has to be on Christ and His Word. And I'm excited because today I want to talk about really something that's absolutely foundational to every single Christian's walk and foundational for every single church, and that is to be built upon the Word of God. Now, in, the, in VBS, you may have been like me and you sang this song. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon what? Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Right, the Bible. And so, I remember singing that song, and if you think about it, it makes sense, right? As Christians, we have God's holy word. He has given us. And He has given it to us as a precious gift to reveal Himself to us, to reveal the gospel that saves us. And so there should be very few things in our life that would take precedence over spending time in this word every day. And I want to talk to you more about that in just a minute. But there was a study that came out not long ago it's actually done annually. It's called the State of the Bible. It's a survey that they do across the U.S. And more than three-quarters of Americans surveyed, about 86% agreed or said that they think the nation's morality is headed downhill, that morally as a nation we're declining. And more than half of those surveys think that the Bible should have more influence on culture around them which is pretty interesting that that many people would think that, yet only one in five surveyed said that they read the Bible or had any interaction with the Bible on a regular basis. So the remainder, 
have very little to no exposure or time and influence by the Bible in their life. So while we, we see the need and we, we would say, even uh, as a nation that we would say is in moral decline, still had this idea that the Bible could be a good thing, yet we don't actually apply it to our lives. Now, if I took that, you know, if we took that survey here this morning, the results might be a little bit better, but in a lot of ways, I would say that the results would be similar because it's not just out there. It's not just, oh, the other people that are struggling with building our life on the foundation of God's Word. If we had to be honest, we would probably say even as the church, even as Christians, sometimes we struggle as well. We struggle as well to make God's Word a priority in our lives. And we want to live a life that honors Christ as believers. But let's face it, we're not living in the promised land here. We're not living in, in Jerusalem. We're living in Babylon, right? We're living in a, in a culture, in a world that in many cases is very anti-biblical. So we have a lot of, of messages and things coming into our lives that aren't pointing us to Christ. But if we believe the Bible is God's Word that is authoritative and it influential in our pursuit of a godly life, if we believe that it is actually the breath of God breathed out to us, the bread of life that sustains us, if we truly believe that it is our guide and our compass, our lamp, a light to our feet, then we must engage in, in this Word. This Word, again, is a good gift that God has given us to have to know Him, but also to know ourselves, to know who we are. Because the big problem with us is because of our sin, because we, are, we have fallen away from, from God and we've inherited this sin nature, we're still trying to figure out how to do life apart from God because we were never meant to do life apart from God. We were created by Him and for Him. Well, this Word tells us who God is, but also how we can be brought back into that right relationship with God that we desperately need, that we were made for. So this morning, if you would uh, turn with me to Psalm 19. We're going to walk through a few verses of Psalm 19 today because Psalm 19 is, is a beautiful, powerful story of, of God's Word. Uh, this psalm was actually written by David, and it's really a hymn. It's really a Hebrew poem that's, that was sung. And in the beginning of, the, of the, the passage, it makes this declaration. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. You know, just that beginning of that, that psalm, David is, is recognizing that if you just look around the world, the heavens declare the glory of God. Right? Go out and, and take a walk and just look at the trees, listen to the birds, look at the sky, listen to the rain when it falls, see, you know, just the amazing truths of creation all around us in reality. It screams that there is a God. But then also, we have that revelation. But, but again, God has given us even more because He's given us a, an even clearer revelation of who He is in His Scripture. So not only do we have the, the general re revelation of God in creation, but we also have the very specific, de detailed account of who God is in His, in His Word. And so, that's where we are picking up in verse 7 today. 
The Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Isn't that a beautiful just prayer to God and declaration of, of who God is and what His Word is. As we read through this, you see that there's a couple of different descriptors for God's Word. We see it's, it's called the law. It's called His testimony or statutes. They're called precepts, commands, and, and rules. And obviously when this was originally written, David is speaking about the Old Testament law that was given to Moses. But now we know that we have the full breadth of Scripture, and so this applies to, to our Old Testament and New Testament Scriptures. And each of these descriptions of God's Word is accompanied by an effect, declaring this is what God's Word is, but then also if we apply it to our lives and if we apply it to the church, this is the effect that it will have. And so let's walk through this just kind of verse by verse, line by line, and see what it has to say to us today. The first point is comes from the first part of verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so point number one is God's Word is perfect. It revives my soul. Now that word perfect, it means, it means blameless. It means complete. It means sound. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is flawless or it proves true. Every word is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Now, if something is, is perfect, if something is flawless, it doesn't need anything outside of itself to be made better. Some examples of this. My wife. Oh, yeah, I thought I'd get it going. Listen, I hit a home run. I married a girl from Carter County. So, yeah, she's from Grayson right here. She's sitting right there. Uh, but... You know, perfect, flawless. Reese peanut butter cups. Whoever thought of taking chocolate and that peanut butter and putting them together and then making it just such a perfect size that you could just put it right in. I mean, it's just... Or put them in the freezer for a little while and then eat... Oh, they're so great and delicious. The Andy Griffith Show. Could there have ever been created a greater show? Andy, Barney, Aunt B, Thelma Lou, Goober, Gomer. I mean, that was the pinnacle of television. Now it's just went downhill from there. And then, of course, the greatest song that was ever written, performed by the greatest artist, I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton. Now, you know, we all know that Whitney Houston did her best. 
And she tried to improve upon that song, but it was already perfect. Again, you can't improve upon something that is perfect and flawless. If something is perfect and flawless, it needs nothing else. That's the description of God's Word here. It's it's inerrant. We believe that the Bible, God's Word is, is inerrant, meaning it is without error. And this is essential for us to believe today, for ourselves personally and for the church to believe. And if you go to a church that doesn't believe this about Scripture, that it is inerrant, then you should run away. Because, again, the foundation of the church of Christ has to be built on the Word of God where the gospel of Jesus is found. And so if we begin to to lessen, to change, to discount, to delete parts that we don't like to make it more palatable or more contemporary or more politically correct, then we're telling God that in fact we know better than He does about how life should be lived. You know, we take something that God has given us in its perfection and we taint it with our fallen sinful ideas. And worst of all, we cheapen the gospel that it contains because if part of the Bible isn't true, then what's to say any of it is, right? If part of the Bible isn't true, then what's to say that the gospel that's found in it, that Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life and died a a substitutionary death on the cross so that we could be saved, what's to say that that is true? Right? We begin to chip away when we begin to, to believe the lie that God's Word is not perfect, but the Bible tells us and God declares His Word is perfect and, and we see that it has effect, again, not only individually, but as, as a body of believers. It tells us who God is, but it also tells us who we are. First Peter chapter 2 says it like this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, have, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, this is who we are. This is what God's Word declares to us. We are people of the Word. People who have been saved. Why? We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. The excellencies of Christ who has saved us. And look at the effect of when we, when we believe that God's law is perfect and we, we live it out, it says it revives our soul. It revives our soul. Who here this morning needs revival in their soul? What church do we know that exists that doesn't need a revival within it? Now, we use that word revival, and sometimes in our context we think, okay, put it on the counter, we got a week long, you know, we bring in the guest preacher, we put up the tent. And yes, revival can be put on the counter, of course, and we can, we can pray for that. But what he's talking about here is that when we, when we take something that is, that is dead, that is dying, that is completely hopeless and help us apart from God, and then we apply the life-changing Word of God, the, the message of the Gospel, Jesus Christ to it, it brings it back to life. It takes 
dead things and makes them alive again. And so we desire that uh, for our lives and, and, and certainly for our church. So God's Word revives my soul. It awakens me to who God is. It opens my mind to the ways of God. And it refreshes my passion to serve God faithfully. Man, God's Word brings revival to, to our souls. The second part of verse 7 it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the, the second point is this. God's Word is, is sure. It gives me wisdom. So that word sure here, it means it's established. It means it's firm. It's a firm foundation. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. See, God's Word is not, it's not fickle. It isn't changing. It's, it's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's eternal. It stands forever. It isn't unpredictable. It isn't inconsistent or indecisive. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, just as God is. And therefore, our decisions that we make every day can and should be made based on what it says. Let me say that again. Our decisions as believers can and should be made based on what the Bible says. Now notice, I didn't say it should be based on what we think the Bible says. It's what the Bible actually says because it is sure. It's firm. It's established. So how do I know what the Bible says? Well, the best way to know what the Bible says is to read the Bible for yourself. It's to spend time in it each and every day personally. Now, it is also very important to gather as the body of Christ, to come and hear the Word of God preached. It's important to gather with other people in groups that are smaller and study the Word and talk about it together. All those things are significant and important, but there is no substitute in your personal spiritual growth for time spent alone with God each day in a daily time with Him. This is, this is one of the, probably I believe, the most important things that we teach students at the BCM about walking with Christ is you have to have a daily, quiet time with the Lord each day. This is a, a discipline that you have, that you form, where it is, it is just a part of your life. It's essential. And it's not just sitting down to read a book, but it's meeting with a person. It's meeting with your heavenly Father each day when you open up His Word because He's going to speak directly to you. And so we see that God's Word is sure. And look what it says, the effect of God's trustworthy Word applied to our lives is. It says it makes wise the simple. It gives us wisdom. Would anyone in here like to have more wisdom in your life? Yeah, I would like to to be more wise. In the Old Testament, Solomon is, is commended by the Lord because when he's asked what he desires the most, he asked God to give him wisdom because he understood that having wisdom, knowing what God desires is greater than anything else that he could have had in his life. You see, wisdom is not simply knowing things about God. Having knowledge of God is a great thing. 
But wisdom is not just having knowledge about God, but wisdom is knowing and trusting God so greatly that it translates into a a complete surrender to the Lordship of Christ to where everything is changed. Now, not only do I know what is true, but I'm actually living it out in, in my life. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear or the, the reverence of God, right? knowing Christ intimately, that is what produces wisdom in our lives. The wisdom we need to make decisions, to discern truth, to recognize lies, error that Satan tries to feed us every day. In order to have this wisdom, we have to to be more like Christ. And so to, to get that, we have to have God's Word present every single every single day. The third point is this. It comes from the first part of verse 8 where it says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Third point is that God's Word is right and it brings me joy. Now that word right means exactly what you think it means. It means it's, it's right, it's correct. It can also mean it's, it's straight. It's the straight and right path. Now, I work on the college campus and the college campus has been called many things, but one thing it's been called is a worldview factory. Now, why is it called that? Because in college, this time in your life where you're beginning to form your ideas and beliefs about the world and about who you are and identity and purpose and all these things, it creates a worldview. How I see the world, how I'm going to approach the world, how I'm going to go after the world in my life But many of the worldviews on the college campus, you may be shocked to know this, are very anti-biblical, right? And so as God's people in His church, and as our campus ministry, we're doing our best to teach students a biblical worldview. We must have a worldview that is biblical, meaning a worldview that filters all things in life through the lens of Scripture, So if God's Word says it, then it's right. If God's Word speaks against it, then it's wrong. And if God's Word is silent on it, then we must use the wisdom, the wisdom in the totality of Scripture applied to our lives to make a God-glorifying decision. That's why, again, it's so important that we're walking in step with the Spirit, that we are in God's Word each day, and we're growing in our wisdom because there are things that are not black and white. When they are, it's clear, but when they're not, we need the wisdom. We need the sensitivity to the Spirit to make that decision that is going to glorify and honor God. This is precisely what Jesus knew that we would need, and He prayed for us. He prayed for His disciples Before he went to the cross, John 17, listen to Jesus' prayer, part of his prayer for his disciples. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word 
is truth. This is very powerful because we see that Jesus doesn't just immediately take His disciples with Him after His ascension, right? After He died on the cross and made a way for their salvation and the salvation of the world, from that point forward, He could have just taken every person who believed in Him immediately to heaven. He could have done that. But He chose not to. And we see here, He says, He he chose to leave us here, but then He also says, He prays for us and He says, keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Church, we can't get so comfortable here that we forget that our home is not actually here. It's in heaven. It is with Him. Right? This is is a short time we're passing through. But He says, sanctify them in the truth that your word is truth. He prays for our sanctification. That basically means He prays for us to be more like Him. We need to be more like Jesus and less like us. So He says, sanctify them. How How does He ask for that to come to pass? He says, Through your word. Your word is truth. He knew we would encounter Satan in this life. He encountered Satan when he was here, right? Think about his temptation in the desert. What did Satan attempt to do? To take the word of God, to twist it, to manipulate it, to turn it just ever so much that that he would, Jesus would believe a lie and, and sin. But of course, Jesus did not. And Jesus combated. Satan's lies with truth, the truth of God's Word. And so that is exactly how we are called as well, to be sanctified, to be more like Jesus. His Word is truth. And so we are called, yes, to be a light in this world for Him, to spread the gospel. But the only way we're going to be effective in doing the mission of God is if we are walking in step with being sanctified by the Word which is truth. We've got to believe that God's Word is right. And when culture says it's wrong, again, we have a biblical worldview. So we're going to lovingly, respectfully disagree and say, but we believe the Bible is truth. And here's why. And then we point them to the Gospel, which shows them that God's Word is truth. It shows them in the reality of it. And We see here, look at the effects. When we believe and live that God's Word is right, it says here that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. It brings joy. There is joy in our lives. We all know that happiness is a fleeting emotion. It comes and goes based on what's happening in our lives, and circumstances can dictate that. And happiness can be found in all sorts of temporary pleasures and pursuits. But joy can be sustained no matter what the circumstances are in your life because joy is found in a God who never changes. Joy is found completely in Christ alone. Listen to Psalm 16. It says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It says, in Christ, in the Lord, we will find fullness of joy. Not just a little bit. Not just part of what we need to have joy. We will find the fullness of joy. The complete amount of joy that we need. And it says it's found in His presence. It is in Your presence, Lord, that I will find the joy that I need. 
How do we enter into His presence? Well, there's not a temple in Jerusalem now that we go to and, and we go and we, we walk through the veil to, to be in His presence. No. Now we have been given the Holy Spirit of Christ to live within us. He, he dwells within us as believers, so we have the indwelling Spirit of God to have His presence with us. And simultaneously, we have the Word of God that is given to us that reveals truth, that is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so combining these things, meeting with God in, our, in His Spirit, in His Word, we are in His presence. And in His presence, we find joy. And we, we discern and discover that we don't need anything else. How many of you have figured out that the longer you walk with Christ, the closer you get to Him, the less the things of this world matter? The more loosely you can let go of material things, of things that that the world seems so consumed with and caught up with seems so trivial. Why? Because we've got our eyes fixed on the truth of what really matters, of who is the greatest treasure. It's Christ. And in His presence our pleasures forevermore, not just temporary pleasures, eternal ones. The fourth point is this, God's Word is pure. It enlightens my eyes. The word pure, it means without defect, without blemish. Psalm 12 verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Purity is a virtue of God. It's a characteristic of Him. Purity is something that we cannot attain on our own. Because of our sin, we are impure. We are imperfect. We are blemished. We are sinful. Which is exactly why we needed Jesus to come. Jesus is the perfect Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. He was the perfect sacrifice He is the one that is perfect without blemish. That is why He had to take our place because we are sinners. We are impure and imperfect, but we can be made pure. We can be made perfect through the power of the gospel applied to our lives. You see, it is not in our own righteousness that we're ever going to get to God and be restored to Him. It's only through Christ's righteousness that we're ever going to get there. He is pure. He is holy. And we see in the Word of God, when we apply the effect of God, the effect of applying God's pure and holy Word to our lives is enlightenment. Now, sometimes that word has a bad connotation, but in this context, it means our eyes are enlightened, again, to who God is who Christ is. And if we want to know more about who we are, if you're looking for identity, you don't look within yourself to find it. You look to God to find it. He created you. He put you together. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And so therefore you look to Him and then guess what? He begins to show us where we fall short. The Bible calls this conviction. We talk about this um, the idea of conviction where when we see a holy, perfect, and pure God, we see how unholy we are. But here's the good news is that because of Christ, because of the gospel, that should draw us to Him. That 
and we repent of that sin, we confess it to God. God, I realize I'm unholy, unrighteous, and impure. I desperately need your righteousness. Please, will you forgive me? You see, we, we receive enlightenment to our state, but also we receive enlightenment to where our salvation comes from, which is, which is the gospel. And the final point is God's word is true and it leads to righteousness. God's word is true. It reads, leads to righteousness. Again, God is just. He's a holy God. He's a just God. And so He couldn't just allow sin to go unpunished or He would be unjust. So His choices are simple. He could punish us for our sin, which would have been just because we deserve, the Bible says, we deserve the wages of sin is death. We deserve the punishment for our own sin. But if He had done that, we had been separated from, from Him forever. So He chose to take action Himself. He chose to put on flesh, to become a man. He chose to come and live that perfect sinless life. To fulfill God's law perfectly, Jesus did that. He did everything right so that we could be made right with God. And then the Bible says that when He died on that cross, He satisfied the wrath of God, meaning Jesus pun God punished Jesus in our place. And then when He rose again, it was the exclamation point of the truth that it worked. It is finished. Right? The, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And then we can be brought back into a relationship so that we who are dead can be raised to life in Christ. We have this new life and this new righteousness. It's a gift righteousness. This great exchange happens for for every person who repents and gives their life to Christ, Jesus takes our sin and we receive His righteousness. Only Jesus can do that. And so this morning, if your desire is to change, a, res a resolution to do better or be better is not going to give you the lasting change you desire. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can make you right before God. And I love these, these verses here at the end. It's, in verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More, desired, more to be desired are they than gold, even fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Churches, as people of God, our desire should be for the things of God. Our salvation is not based on our works. You don't get extra points in heaven for reading your Bible every day. But what happens is when you are in God's Word every day, the, the treasure you gain is intimacy with Christ. It's sanctification. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's wisdom. It's discernment. It's joy. There are so many benefits to the Word of God applied to our lives. How can we neglect it? Church, we can't neglect it. It has to be who we are, not just what we do. And so this morning, let me ask you, first and foremost, 
Do you have a relationship with Jesus that is declared to us in His Word that you can have through what He did for you? We've already talked about it. He died for you. That is truth. God's Word says that it's true. He wants to know you. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. Do you have that relationship with Him today? If not, let today be the day of your salvation as God would desire to save you and change you. And if you do have a relationship with God today, I pray that just a a holy discontentment has been stirred in your soul to where you want to give more of your time to God and His Word. You desire to be more like Him and you, you know you need Him and so you're going to commit and and make time to be with Him in His Word. His Word is perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's it's pure, it's clean, it's true. And remember, its effects are revival in your soul, wisdom in your life, joy, enlightenment, and righteousness. Can't we all say that we all need more of that in our lives? So as I close, as you respond now in these moments. If God is drawing you to Himself for salvation today, you cry out to Him right where you sit. You pray and you cry out, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner and I need you. And I declare, Jesus, that you are Lord. You pray and ask Jesus to save you and the Bible says that He will do that. And if you're a Christian, spend time praying, praying that God will give you a greater desire for Him and His Word. Pray and ask that He would give you opportunity that He would allow you to to have time in your day and that you would make a verbal or even a visible commitment. I'm going to be in God's Word every single day. Have a plan. And, And I know Pastor Aaron and other leaders here would love to help you get started walking with God in His Word every day. And as I as I close, let this be all of our prayer. Verse 14 of Psalm 19 says this, let this be our prayer just as it was David's prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. God, I pray that you would would use this church or this foundation church. The foundation is you, Jesus. It is you, it is your word, it is your truth. And I pray as they as they go to be a community for this community, God, that you would just use them in that way, Lord. And that this would be a church that is, that is marked by being a, a church that loves the word of God, a people of the word. And God, that that would be so evident, so evident, so compelling to, to lost people in this community. They would be drawn in, not by... Uh, anything other than the fact that there's evidence that there's a transformation of, of the people of this church through the gospel, and that they would want that. Lord, we, we could never praise you enough. Lord, we give you all the praise we can muster today, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name.